Good morning. So this is uh, week two as we begin the process of looking to add some uh, men to become elders of this church and leaders and shepherds and pastors. We are conducting a series of lessons on uh, the topic of eldership and leadership in the church. And we do so with the hope that uh, each one of us will spend time in prayer. Each one of us will spend time uh, reflecting upon uh, the people that we know and spend time reflecting upon that which is best for this church, that we'll spend time reflecting upon Scripture as we think about uh, the best uh, way to move forward as a congregation, uh, what this eldership can look like in the future. Uh, I want to begin, last week we talked about shepherds, and I began with the idea of uh, prayer and of process, uh, progressing through this with, uh, with intentional uh, attention to making sure that we are not uh, just trying to promote a certain agenda or uh, perhaps a selfish uh, way of, of trying to use this as a process to, to smuggle in our particular views or opinions of ways of doing things. And this is going to make you sick by the time I'm done with these series of lessons, but I'm going to start the same way. Number one... Do not put a name forward for elder that you haven't spent a lot of time praying about. This is a time, an important and essential time for congregational prayer, for every one of us to spend a lot of time in prayer for this church. This is an important issue. Uh, This is an important matter facing us, and it's something that we would be foolish to try to do without talking to God regularly and abundantly as we go through it. And so pray a lot. Pray for the current eldership. Pray for the potential future eldership. And pray for this church as we move forward. But then also... As you reflect on Scripture, and as you reflect on uh, who is qualified, if that's the word we want to use, to become uh, an elder, none of the Scriptures that we are going to be reading through, none of the Scriptures in the New Testament, none of the Scriptures in the whole Bible will give you the idea that the best leader is the one who will promote what you tend to agree with as a vision for the church. There's no passage that says the one who's the most qualified is the one who shares your opinions on things. Uh, In fact, what will make the best elder is the person who will shepherd well, who you can love and respect even when they don't agree with you. That's actually a pretty important sign of a good elder, is someone who will put the church above a particular opinion or agenda or preference. Uh, Those are the types of elders who, even when there's disagreement, they work well with one another because they're processing with humility and with love and with ultimately what's best for the church rather than their own, uh, you know, thought processes or or, uh, uh, opinions. And so if you're looking for an elder... Look for the elder who can work well with the other elders. As a matter of fact, that's going to be an important part of our lesson today. The idea of working together, serving together. I want you to turn with me to a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where our lesson's going to come from. This is a passage that can easily, if you're just kind of reading quickly through, you might not realize how important this passage is, specifically about leadership in the church, uh, which I think would include eldership in the church, certainly. Um, one of the reasons why 1 Thessalonians, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is, is where you're supposed to be turning. I'm, I don't know if I said Timothy or not, but I meant 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is uh, where we're going to be in our lesson this morning. And One of the reasons, perhaps, why the word elder is not used in this passage is because the church at Thessalonica 
came together under some tumultuous circumstances. Paul was not able to be there very long. He has not been able to make a return trip there. And a lot of times, um, that was kind of Paul's method throughout the book of Acts, is he would establish a congregation, and then he would travel back through, and he would establish elders at that congregation. Well, he hasn't made it back to Thessalonica yet. Um, And so they might not have elders. And so he is going to talk about uh, leadership and those who are ruling in some way. Uh, But he doesn't use one of our three words that we talked about last week for elders right here. But it is a really important passage when it comes to leadership. And what I want to do is read through it and make some quick points. But then I want to make one bigger point at the end, which, uh, which I think you can see in this passage, and you can pretty much see in any passage about elderships or leadership in the Bible. And so that's, that's, that's the, the roadmap for this lesson uh, this morning. Um, but if you look at verse 12, I want you to notice something. Verse 12 says, but we request of you, brethren. All right? Now look down at verse 14. It says, we urge you, brethren. Now, if you're just reading through, you might think, okay, he just kind of repeats himself twice and says, you know, well, I urge you, brethren, and I urge you, brethren. But I think if you pay attention to what he urges or requests of them, you can see that he has two different groups of brethren in mind here. The first group are those who are being led. And so I think that's a really important reminder for every one of us, as we consider this process, to remember these words. But that second group where he says, but we urge you, brethren, that's specifically to those who are leading, to the leaders in the church. And there are a lot of clues in there that help you see that as we go through. But verses 12 and 13 are particularly to the Christians who are being led. And here's what it says, and I want every one of us to make this a part of our mindset moving forward. Paul says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So he's saying, I want you to see, to watch, to respect, to appreciate, to honor perhaps uh, those who are leading and those who are uh, laboring and working hard among you and those who are instructing you. And then verse 13, he says, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So when you are looking at the leadership, when you are looking at the eldership, he says, I want you to honor those people. Esteem them highly and do it in love. Like, love the leadership that you have at your church. It's, it's not always, the church isn't always going to do exactly what you want the church to do. Anytime you have more than one person in a congregation, uh, something's going to happen there that's not your preference, and that's fine. Uh, it, in fact, that's a reminder. Church is always about humility Serving Jesus is always about self-denial. If you can't worship in a way that uh, perhaps isn't your favorite, well, then you need to remember what the cross is all about. Uh, It's not about everything being your favorite. It's actually a reminder. When things are going on at the church that are not uh, in line with your particular generation or that are not in line with your particular preferences, that's a really important reminder that the church is much bigger than you. In fact, it's a reminder that the church is made up of people who have lived in generations past. The church has been around for thousands of years. If it feels kind of ancient, if it feels not very modern and hip and up to date, 
it's not that modern and it's not that hip. Uh, you know, the church isn't that. Uh, the church is an ancient uh, community that has been around for thousands of years that started in a very different place in this world with a very different culture and a very different group of people. And we get to continue in that. You might not want the church to feel just like everything else you do. It's okay to come here and things to be different because it's different. It's unlike anything else. And so what sometimes happens is we can think the best way to move forward as a church is the way that I like the best. And so I need to get the people in place who will do things the way I like the best. And if things are ever done in a way that I don't like the best, then those people are the problem. And what this passage is encouraging you to do is to say, don't think that way. Instead, regardless of your preferences or opinions, don't be motivated by those. Be motivated by love and honor and esteem those who work really, really hard. Because it's also true that every person who is laboring in this church, every elder that we have right now and every elder that we're going to have, it's not an easy job. It does take effort. It does take some sacrifice. It does take a genuine love of the church. Notice that. Appreciate that. Highly esteem that and love them for that. He says, uh, highly esteem them, uh, esteem them highly in love because of their work. And then that final phrase of verse 12 is so important. Live at peace with one another. That's, pr- that's perhaps the most important thing you can do to make their lives easier, is live in peace with one another. The more fighting there is within a congregation, the more headaches and sleepless nights and stressors uh, the eldership has as they try to lead this church into a community that honors God. It's all of a sudden you can't, you can't focus on honoring God and focus on outreach and focus on all the different ministries of the church because you're constantly putting out fires among the members. Live in peace with one another. And you'll make everything a whole lot better. And again, peace doesn't happen. If, if peace only happens because you always get your way, that's not peace. That's domination. Uh, peace is much better appreciated when people can love each other in spite of having some different views and some different preferences. That's one of the things that makes the church beautiful, is that you do have people from every different walk of life. You have people from different uh, social strata, different generations, all sitting together in one building, singing songs together and worshiping God and sharing a meal together. That doesn't happen a lot in this world. There's not many places where you would go and you would see all of that happening together. And the reason it's happening is because there's something more important than every one of us that has drawn us here together. And so whenever you're trying to draw in a community to be one with one another, certainly there's going to be some conflict on the way to do things. It'd be impossible for there not to. But live in peace with one another. Honor those who are working hard to try to make this uh, something that honors God and gives glory to Jesus and try to join in, in furthering that rather than stopping to halt it. Uh, so those are kind of his words to the congregation. When you get to verse 14, he then switches to the leadership. And he tells them some important things about leading. In fact, this is a really simple, uh, the structure of these next verses is really simple. It is a list of 14 second-person plural imperatives. What I mean by that, it is 14 in a row, y'all do this. Do this, 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 don't do this. But you go through it, and it is 14 different commands given to the leaders. These are the things that you should be doing. Uh, And so it's a really important list. Look for people who you think can do this list pretty well. Uh, As leaders and as elders, try to make sure that this list is... uh, 
embodying what you are trying to do among the congregation. It's a helpful list. It's 14 things. It goes from verse 14 down through the end of verse 22. And then, uh, and then verse 23, uh, you have, uh, you have this, this prayer for, for the entirety of the body. But then you get, so let's look at verse 14, and we'll quickly make a 14-point sermon. Uh, verse 14 says, Now we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. So, by the way, remember, I told you the first part is probably for people who are being led. Notice they're the ones who are being in, instructed or admonished. My translation does something kind of funny here. At the end of verse 12... It says, who give you instruction, but that's actually the same Greek word as the word that's used right there in verse 14, which my translation puts as admonish. Some of your translations probably have the same word there. Uh, But the, the idea is be appreciative of those who teach you, who warn you perhaps, or who admonish you. Um, and also you who are doing the warning and the admonishing, make sure that's a part of what you do. Uh, admonish the unruly, uh, but then also he says, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So the first four commands are to admonish, encourage, help, and be patient. <laughs> Those are all important parts of leadership. If you're not a patient person with people who uh, it takes time and effort and you're trying to encourage them, but they still seem to be uh, weaker than you would like them to be, well, sometimes that's church work, you know? Sometimes people don't grow at the speed that you'd like them to. And sometimes there's a congregation and you're trying to move them in one direction and you're trying to move them closer to the Lord, but you find out... They're still very human people. That happens. That, that's a, that happens everywhere. It takes patience. It takes constant encouragement. It takes a whole lot of teaching. And it takes a lot of help. Help the weak. Encourage those who are faint-hearted. I guarantee you, there are people right here, right now, who are faint-hearted. You're weary. That life has beaten you down. There are, whether it's grief, whether it's stress about your job, whether so many different things, struggle with raising kids, uh, struggle with other family members. So many pressures in this world can make us weary. Church needs to be a place where you can go and find encouragement. Good leaders recognize that. They don't try to make you feel bad for your weaknesses or for your weariness. They try to encourage you and help you through those things. They try to instruct in such a way that builds up the body. And so those are some of the types of things that the the leaders are encouraged to do. Verse 15. This is another clue that he's talking to the leaders. He says, see to it that no one repays another evil for evil. Notice there, he doesn't say don't repay evil for evil. He says make sure no one does that. He's talking to the leader saying, make sure that you have people. He just told them at the end of verse 13, live in peace with one another. Well, one way you do that is let evil die with you. Meaning if you receive an evil, don't infuse it with new life by then returning it to someone else. And then all of a sudden they're holding it like hot potato and they throw the evil back to you and evil just lives on that way. Rather, don't repay evil for evil. Evil needs to be returned in order to continue to live. If you just let it die then you can move on in peace. So don't repay evil for evil. That's, that's the fifth one. The next one is, but always seek that which is good uh, for one another and for all people. So actually put forth effort into trying to find good. Don't return evil with evil. That'll just create more evil. Instead, turn it into something good and look for ways to do good for one another But then also for all people, like every human that is created by God is a person you can do good to. So look for opportunities to do that. 
verse 16. Again, these are some verses that we often read generally to the church, but specifically think about them with regard to leadership. This is part of a list of commands to the leaders where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A leadership that is rejoicing, that is constantly in prayer, and that is giving thanks to God is, I think, moving the church in a healthy direction. I think they have a perspective on what Jesus has done for us so that even when there are difficulties, they remember the ultimate hope of salvation that we have through Jesus. And even through the pressures that come, they're able to find ways to rejoice. I think Paul talks about having learned that mindset even while in prison uh, writing to the church at Philippi that he has learned to be content even through hard times and good times. These verses in verse 16, 17, and 18, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks. He does not qualify that based on your current life circumstance. He seems to be saying, even when you're in Thessalonica and there's persecution around and you're fearful for your life as a Christian, rejoice always. Pray about that, by the way. (laughs) There's a lot to pray about. Go to God constantly about the things you're enduring But even as you do that, give thanks. You can give thanks even, this is one of the ideas that you see in the New Testament, even when you're going through hardships, give thanks for the hardships. Hardships can teach you things. You know, if things are always simple and easy and comfortable, there's very little room for growth there. Hardships can produce some growth and some patience and some toughness. They can produce some fortitude for a congregation, which is a really important thing for a church to have. So give thanks in everything, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As you continue to verse 19 through 22, I think these all kind of work together, talking specifically about leaders paying attention to the teaching that's going on in the church. Verse 19 and 20 say, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. Um, So one thing you can do if you're kind of nervous about uh, false teaching ever being given is you can just make everyone be quiet. (laughs) You can can say no preaching, no prophetic utterances, nothing like that. And if, especially in the early church, if they did that, then what they're doing is they're quenching the work of the spirit. The spirit works through that. And so don't quench the spirit by rejecting prophetic utterances. Instead, what you do in verse 21 and 22 don't reject it, but examine it. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. So instead of rejecting the spirit and prophetic utterances, examine it. This is, I think, very similar to what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. It's like, but examine everything careful. If it's good, we'll cling to it and hold to it and let that be a part of who you are as a body of God's people. If it's evil, then don't. I I grew up hearing verse 22, that verse, abstain from every form of evil, kind of of devoid of this context, where it basically meant, if it can even look evil, if it has the appearance of evil, because in in the King James, the word appearance is used there, avoid every appearance of evil. And so people think that appearance is is kind of like a, uh, if it kind of even looks that way, if it even appears like it could be a bad thing, don't do it. That's not actually what this verse is saying. The word appearance could also mean something appears. Like, like e- if evil appears here, it's not just that it kind of looks like evil. It actually appeared that evil is here. And the evil is part of the teaching that's going on. Then abstain from that. 
you examine it, you cling to what's good, you abstain when evil appears, and you, you put an end to that. But that's part of what leadership does through each of these. If you have leaders like this, you're going to have solid, good, faithful teaching in a church. You're going to have a church that is constantly in prayer. You're going to have a church that knows how to rejoice even through difficult times, even coupled with the important uh, value of lament within, uh, within the, the life of the faith. Uh, you're going to be able to have people who are struggling, who are downtrodden, who are weak, receiving encouragement and help in teaching. You're going to have a church that is not repaying evil for evil and constantly fighting, but you'll be able to promote peace. Like This is a really valuable list for the health of a congregation and some of the priorities of leaders. And so if you're looking for leaders, ask yourself, who helps those who are weak? Who's patient? Who is it that cares more about peace than returning evil for evil? Who's a person of prayer? Who's a person who can lift up your spirits when things are difficult? Who's someone who cares a lot about teaching and making sure that it is uplifting and true and, and, is, and, is, and is something that is valuable and healthy for the church rather than teaching that uh, can bring about evil? It's an important list, and it's one that I think we need to take very seriously as we move forward. But as I said, there was one final point I wanted to make kind of as we conclude this. I mentioned that this right here, if you read through it, Verses 14 through 22 is just a list of 14 second-person plural imperatives all right in a row. It's a really important, there's a reason I'm saying it's second-person plural imperatives. And it's not just, uh, you know, so that you can learn a fancy little note uh, to take home with you. That word plural is an important one. Um, When we talk about the elders, we are not necessarily looking for the one perfect elder. We are not looking for, last week, I gave a lesson on shepherding. And uh, by the end of that lesson, if you're looking for one person who is always that, you're probably not going to find them. We have great elders, but even your best elder on his best day is going to fall short of the ideal. I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's superhuman. Uh, when you look at this list right here, you're going to find people who, yeah, I think move in that direction and, and have that as part of who they are. But you're not going to find perfection here. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that pretty much every passage in the New Testament about eldership or about leadership, it's not singular, this is the leader, but rather it's plural. You're looking for a team here. You're looking for people who work together. It's a whole lot easier to pray without ceasing when you have a large number of people who are praying as part of that. Uh, It's a lot easier to rejoice always when... You know, there might be someone who is going through a hard, hard time and they're, they're not able to rejoice right now, yet another person is. When you have an eldership as a team, you're going to be able to have people who, when one is failing, another can lift them up. You can have mutual help and encouragement among the leaders of the congregation. You can have someone who is really passionate about one area that another person might not know or care all that much about yet they're passionate in another area and that's okay i mean for example what do we have going on at this church we have foreign missions 
We have a preschool that takes a lot of time and effort. We have uh, education where there's classes being taught constantly. We have uh, leadership development. We have uh, benevolence in the local community. We have people who are visiting hospitals. We have all sorts of things that are taking place, and that's just a, a very small list. We have WEI, the World English Institute. That, like All of these things, they take a lot of time, and they take a lot of thought, and they take a lot of prayer. They take uh, ministry and reflection and service. This. But if, if you have one elder who he's passionate about foreign missions, and you have another elder who's passionate about education, they're going to work well as a team because not one person has to take on the whole load themselves. You, you disperse you see who thrives and flourishes in which area, and you give that to them, and you encourage them in that. Uh, working as a team makes it so that you don't have to be the perfect elder who knows everything and is in charge of everything and runs everything and, and knows uh, absolutely everybody as well as you know, you know your own self. But when you have a group that works together, you can have that. You can have that. When you have a group that works together, even within a church, you want your elders to know the flock. And you want the flock to know the shepherds. That's, that's really important. We talked about that last week. But it is hard for every elder to know every single person here intimately. But if you have a group of elders who are working together, then you can each probably have a good relationship with an elder. And that's a way that you can, you can be connected to the leadership of this church. That's one of the reasons why we're looking for more elders. So that we can have some help in that process and make sure that, that more people are able to have that type of connection. I mean, when you look at different ministries and what is emphasized and valued, it is helpful to have elders with a wide-ranging perspective of what's truly important. When you're looking for representation among a congregation, it is helpful to have elders who are not all the exact same type of fella or think the exact same way or approach everything the same way. I mean, it, we've, we've talked about agendas and, thing, and opinions throughout this. If every one of our elders shared the exact same agenda and shared the exact same opinion, then it is going to be hard not to be excluded if you're not of that variety. But if you have people who put the kingdom above themselves, even if there are a plurality of visions for what is best for the future of this church, they can work those out together. They can discuss as faithful godly men. That's one of the reasons why you get qualified elders, so that they can discuss as faithful godly men who love the church, who aren't putting themselves above everyone else, who aren't brawlers and who aren't quick to anger. You know, those types of things destroy elderships. Having the exact same view on every issue isn't the key to a healthy eldership. Being able to love and work with one another and put the church first, even when your particular issue might not uh, receive widespread agreement. That's what's important for an eldership. And so working as a team, you can have different perspectives, different, uh, um, different representation among people who are, you know, if every elder has the exact same education, the exact same amount of money, exact same experience in the church, then they're going to have probably a pretty similar view. I think it's helpful if iron's ever going to sharpen iron, that you try to have a diversity of mindsets, even within the eldership, with what unites them being a humble connection to Jesus and a loving service and commitment to him. That's, that's why it's a team. Uh, no one's ever going to be the perfect elder. If you're thinking about, I want to be an elder, I think, I think I can serve the church, but I'm not perfect. Well, 
You're not perfect. You're right. That's a helpful thing to realize. If you thought you were perfect, you'd probably be a bad elder. Um, But working together with others who can strengthen you is important. Saying, well, I don't know everything that's going on in the church, and I don't think I can be in charge of all that. Probably aren't going to know everything that's going on in the church, and that's why you have other elders to help. If you say, "Well, I'm, I uh, I have some different views on some things," well, okay, uh, talk to the elders about that. See if you can work together with these things. That's important too. Being able to love and work through things, even if you have some some different ideas, that that's going to happen. Work with each other on those things. I know of some people who they want to be an elder, or they think they could they could do well, but they travel a lot. Well, okay. You know what? You have other elders who are there. You, it's not like the eldership crumples when one person takes a vacation. You, you can take a vacation, and you have a group of elders who are still working there together. The idea of the eldership being a team is an important part of what makes it uh, a united experience of service to Jesus. And that's what you're invited into. Next week, uh, we'll talk more about uh, some of those famous qualifications passages. And uh, we'll try to make some important points about, there, uh, about those. But I would say, read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as you consider moving forward. Think about working together as a team of elders rather than what one man can be the perfect elder. That won't happen. But can you get someone who works well with a team of elders, who is the type of person who's called into leadership, that I think you can have a really healthy, successful, vibrant, faithful, and godly eldership who sets us in a good trajectory now and in the future to come. And that's, that's what I find myself praying for a lot. Um, if there's anyone here this morning, if you would like the prayers of the church, or if anyone would like to become a Christian here this morning, we pray that you would let that be known. Uh, you can talk to one of our elders in the library in the back, or you can come sit on the front row. But please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.